How far would you travel to find yourself again? Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer, and uh, where, where's my notes? And other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology series. And in this bonus episode series, I'm going to be reviewing Amazon Prime's new sci-fi anthology series, Solos, created by, and I'm going to finally get his name right, David Weil. Um, so, uh, for archives of all of my episodes, visit anthologypod.com as well as, uh, you know, other bonus episode series that I've done. And you can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow me on Twitter at ovanthologypod. And if you'd like to support what I do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. So let me run down the tiers that we have on the Patreon page. Uh, at $1 per month, if you pledge $1 per month, you get access, you get access to, uh, a, an exclusive RSS feed that gives you exclusive B-roll episodes recorded for Patreon supporters. So, those run the gamut. We have like 130. Uh, some of them go for like 15 minutes. Others go for an hour. There's at least one or two like full length episodes. Like there's an episode where Mike and I over at Obsessive Viewer just talk about music. And um, he's a musician and I know nothing about music. So it's a lot of fun. But you get instant access to all of that for just $1 per month. Then, if you pledge $2 per month, you get access to that B-roll, th- to those B-roll episodes that I mentioned before, as well as exclusive TV review and reaction episodes. So, right now, recently, um, on that, on that level, um, I did a review of season one of Rutherford Falls, a full series review of Superstore. I also did, uh, episode by episode weekly recaps of of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I'm going to be doing the same thing for Loki and the same thing for Lisey's story, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, that the, Those uh, are going to be coming in June or at the time that this episode drops, it's already in progress. So that's at $2 per month. And then if you want to spend $5 per month, you get access to all of that, the B-roll episodes, the TV reviews, and exclusive movie commentary tracks that I record specifically for Patreon. So I try to do at least three a month. Um, I've done Sunshine, Captain America Civil War, Seven, um, uh, uh, um, Ex Machina, and a whole bunch of stuff. On that level, I'm actually doing this project where I'm going through and doing commentary tracks for each of the movies on my top 25 favorite movies of all time list. So that's a huge project, huge undertaking. That's at $5 per month on Patreon. And finally, if you want to pledge $10 per month, you get access to everything that I've said before, the B-roll episodes, the TV reviews, the movie commentary tracks, and you get early access to podcast episodes and previously unreleased content. So for context, I've said this before in this bonus episode series, but bear with me. I'm releasing these bonus episodes weekly starting on May 21st um, when the when the series premieres. So series premieres May 21st. I'm going to drop the first episode. Then the 25th, every Tuesday after that, it's going to be episodes released. So this episode, if you're listening to it the day that it comes out, it uh, is like early June, I think, like June 3rd or something. But 
for the $10 per month Patreon supporters, I am actually releasing all seven of these episodes on that level of the feed, uh, on that level of Patreon on May 21st. So, um, they, they have had and will continue to have access to all seven of those episodes. Whereas the, uh, the people just listening on the main feed, uh, have to wait week to week for that. So, um, and again, that's in addition to all the other stuff from other tiers. Um, again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I really, really love providing exclusive content to Patreon. And I really, um, I'm really proud of it. And, uh, every, every, every cent that, um, uh, that is paid out through Patreon goes directly to paying the fees to keep all of my podcasts running and everything. So it's greatly appreciated. Again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. So today on the show, I am continuing my seven part bonus episode series for the new sci-fi anthology series solos, which, as I said, premiered all of its episodes on May 21st, 2021 on Prime Video. And in this episode specifically, I'm going to be reviewing Peg, which is episode three of the series. And this episode stars Helen Mirren as a woman alone on a space shuttle headed toward the farthest reaches reaches of the universe, who has a lot of time to think about how exactly she got to this moment. And so before I get into the actual episode and everything, just to for just to just to warn you, um, in my review, I will be spoiling the entire episode of Peg. So make sure you watch it before the before listening to this episode. In addition to that, I'm going to be spoiling the previous episode, Tom. So make sure you make sure you're caught up on solos before you listen to this episode. So, uh, Peg stars Helen Mirren as Peg. Um, she is a legendary actress. Um, her credits her, her credits include The Queen, Gosford Park, The Good Liar, Red, Red Two, National Treasure, Book of Secrets. Um, and when it comes to science fiction credits, she appeared in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and 2010, The Year We Make Contact, which is interesting because I've never seen that movie, even though 2001 A Space Odyssey is, I think, like my number two or three favorite movie of all time. Um, it is absolutely astounding. Um, so maybe I'll circle back and watch 2010 at some point. But I mean, it, I'm, I would go in with low expectations. Um, so, uh, in, in to round out her, uh, credits, she also appeared in one episode of the 1980s Twilight Zone, uh, Dead Woman's Shoes, which if all goes as planned, and I have been kind of really hitting the pavement on here, um, if all goes as planned, uh, I'll be covering that episode in August. And that's a unique episode of the Twilight Zone because it has, um, from what I understand, it has an original series episode, then the eighties remake, and then a actual, uh, and then actually a 2002, um, remake of it, I believe. So that's a unique kind of, uh, thing. So, um, writer for this episode was David Weil and director was Sam Taylor Johnson, whose directing credits include Nowhere Boy, Fifty Shades of Grey, and A Million Little Pieces. Okay, so Talent Rundown has been run down, and now I'm going to uh, share my feelings as a viewer on this episode. Um, so before I get into the kind of nitty-gritty, like, like dissection and deep dive in the episode, just kind of my overall feelings as a viewer on this episode is that I felt like it was a really cool display of growth for the Peg character. And like, it's, it's, it did a really good job of um, establishing who this character is and showing her talking through her insecurities and her issues and everything and just creating this well-rounded character through monologues, which is what this show has proven to be all about. Um, 
in the grand scheme of things, I do feel like Tom was a much better episode, but I do think that Peg was an improvement over Leia, the first episode. So, um, even though it didn't really reach the heights of Tom and Anthony Mackie's incredible performance there, um, it was uh, it, w- it was still a very, very solid episode, which I'm excited to get into and uh, talk about here. And okay, I just need to make sure that my backup recording was actually recording, and it is. So, uh, okay, so enough dilly-dallying. We're going to go into episode three of Solos. So right off the bat, this episode is incredibly in my wheelhouse because, um, first of all, I have a ton of anxiety (laughs) and social anxiety and everything. But beside that, I am such a fan and just lover of space exploration, especially space exploration in, uh, in fiction and in science fiction, obviously, since that's what it is. Um, so, uh, we get this opening shot of just this, this capsule that is kind of reminiscent of the, uh, the pods from 2001, a space odyssey. And it's just floating in the vastness of space, um, completely isolated. And that's just a perfect kind of, um, metaphor for Peg's character, um, going in and just shots of like infinite space like that, which now are kind of a dime a dozen. I don't know what goes into creating the CGI of that and everything, but I mean, technology has reached a point where it is pretty commonplace to have something in a relatively low budget thing look just incredibly stunning because of just the advancements of visual effects. And this is no different. This is just stunning shots. Like if there are only a few, but there are some very stunning shots of just the exterior of the capsule and the uh, the infinite space all around it. It's really great. So inside the actual shuttle, uh, which is incredibly small, like it's a very small space, but um, we see Peg uh, strapped into her seat and she's humming and she can't remember the song that she's humming. And so the AI um, named Tim, who's voiced by Dan Stevens, who's going to be in a later episode of the season, I believe. Um, well, I, I know that for a fact, but I haven't seen it yet. So anyway, um, the AI comes on and says that she can always ask for assistance and he can help her figure out what the song is. And she just, she declines and thanks him. And this is our first glimpse of Peg's kind of ingrained desire not to cause a fuss or, as she says throughout the episode repeatedly, be a bother to others. And that's interesting because in this case, this like opening case that to, to kind of demonstrate her character is that the the other that she is uh, not wanting to be a fuss toward or be a bother to is an AI on a spaceship that she's the only occupant of. And like that AI is specifically built to help her with anything that she needs and everything. So as a brief aside, I absolutely adore like AI, like artificial intelligent voiceover on spaceships. Like I said, 2001 A Space Odyssey is one of my favorite movies of all time. And as of this recording, this is a few weeks before the episode actually comes up on the main feed. But um, as of this recording, I am like three or four days away, three days, she's oh three days away from getting my hands on uh, Mass Effect, oh, excuse me, Mass Effect, the legendary edition, the remastered um, edition and everything. I can't, I can't wait for that. I'm so excited for it um, to replay those games, but they have a really cool, um, and at least in the second one, they have an AI, second and third. But anyway, um, I just love science fiction and uh, space opera and stuff. It's really great. So, 
Um, in this case, the AI who is voiced by Dan Stevens, as I said, um, it's clearly kind of seems like it's pattern patterning, um, patterning itself. And, uh, Dan Stevens is kind of pattern patterning his tone after, uh, Hal 9000 from 2001, which I respect because I mean, that's a legendary, legendary example of artificial intelligence on spaceships in fiction. And also I found that kind of cool because since I literally just found out when making my notes that Helen Mirren was actually in 2010, the year we make contact, uh, which like I said, is a movie I've never seen. Um, I think I just, I'm, I'm just so in love with 2001 and what Kubrick achieved with that movie that I think that seeing like a sequel kind of, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I fear that it might mar it, um, because it doesn't have Kubrick's touch. So anyway, um, she asks, she then asks the AI when they're beginning the study and Tim says they've already been conducting it and that pig has been asleep for three days. And then she's also been, uh, she's recently been awake for 15 hours at this point. And, uh, he says that they, meaning the people who organized this expedition and everything should have told her about that. And she immediately just claims to have forgotten about it. She says like, Oh yeah, I'm sure that they did. I just forgot about it and I should have remembered it. And I'm, um, cause I would have, you know, put some rouge on and I wouldn't have, I don't want to look like a slouch and look like I'm ungrateful or, or anything. And this just string of dialogue from her is, really um captivating in terms of showing and showcasing her kind of social anxiety and her own personal issues um and everything because she is someone it, it's another example of her making concessions and wanting to avoid anything that would cause even the slightest bit of conflict and everything so instead of saying that they didn't tell her she immediately defaults to accepting the blame that she forgot it when she doesn't necessarily remember to have forgotten about it um and i found that just really interesting and really um captivating and in- insightful to her character and her kind of um as the as the episode progresses the revelation of her different character flaws and everything that makes her the human being that she is and brings her to that point of self-actualization at the end of the episode. So like I said, she says that she did, um, if she would have known she would have dressed up and, uh, she, she didn't want to look like a slouch and like she was ungrateful, which that just kind of signaled to me that she lives in this state of wanting to please others while simultaneously wanting or believing that she can't or shouldn't do anything to stand out or be noticed because that would bring a vulnerability to her. Um, and it would be something that wouldn't be, wouldn't be couth because it would be, it would bring a vulnerability to her and bring criticism upon her and everything. So I thought that was just a really interesting character trait, uh, to kind of begin to unfurl in this episode. So, um, she gives her like introduction to the, um, to the study and everything. And she does this whole thing and she says that she's Peg. I can't remember the last name, but that's the kind of reveal that she is Tom's daughter from episode two. Um, and I really like how much time plays into this show. So between one episode and between episode two and episode three, we've jumped 60 plus years into the future. And we just spent a half an hour with Anthony Mackie talking to Anthony Mackie. 
Um, and we just spent a half an hour of him going into all of this stuff about his family and everything. And now we're 60 years in the future with his daughter. And it's just an interesting kind of um, springboard into this world building and this relationship building and everything. Which I have some kind of slight issues and um, uh, concerns about how that plays out, but just on the in the abstract in the broad sense of the terms or broad sense of the world, um, I really like how it spans all of this all of this time. And I'm kind of curious, like if Leia is going to come into play at some point, or any like Leia's mother is going to come into play in a future episode. Because at this point, I haven't watched any future episodes yet. Um, so anyway, um, so the AI says like, oh, you don't have to, you know, you, you don't have to introduce yourself like that or anything. And, uh, she, uh, she says that she always wanted to be on the silver screen and there's these little glimpses of her being animated, um, like that. And when she kind of dances in her seat and everything throughout the episode, um, there's a certain charm to that and, and beauty to that. Like she is very animated and it's her, being comfortable in her own skin when her entire character like dynamic in the episode is regretting that she hasn't been comfortable in her own skin. And I just really, that kind of overarching character trait of her not being comfortable and her being socially awkward and, and not grabbing life by the horns makes those little moments of animated physical, um, performing from Helen Mirren, who, it, like, I'm just realizing this now, like, what a performance. This is great, because she is literally just sitting in a seat for the entirety of the episode, and she still has these bursts of emotion and animated qualities and stuff. Like, I mean, compare that to um, to to Anne Hathaway in the first episode, and Anthony Mackie in the second episode. Like, they have, granted, versions of themselves to play off of, and they have props and they have like, like, like Anne Hathaway had a Roadcaster Pro <laughs> to play with. Um, and Anthony Mackie had like, like cups and drinks and he had a whole space to work in and everything. Helen Mirren is strapped to a chair in a very small confined space and she's still able to bring forth that emotional core to the character in really, in really good and resonant ways. And I just, I like, that's why you get Her Helen Mirren for this. <laughs> she's a legend. Um, and it's just, it's really, it's really, uh, impeccable and, um, beautiful. So. Anyway, um, the AI says that she should just be herself throughout the, the whole thing of, um, throughout the, throughout the whole, um, uh, study and everything. And like the way that Helen Mirren like winces at that a little bit says so much and is so just, it's, it's great because it's her showing a little bit of vulnerability because, she fears that if she's just herself, she won't be counted and she has her shields up so others don't see the real peg. And that's what makes her feel invisible and everything. And in that case, I did find some really interesting correlations between this episode and Tom's episode. Um, because this episode is all about vulnerability in kind of the same way that Tom's was, uh, whereas, but, but a little bit different, obviously. So Tom was, uh, confronted his own mortality. He was confronting his mortality and everything while Peg is confronting her insecurities. And it brings about for both of these characters, these, this self-reflection and this kind of yearning to, leave the place, leave the world a better place for their loved ones, or at least in Tom's case, leave, leave the world for, uh, in a better place for his loved ones. And Peg is 
wanting to reconsider leaving the world. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic and some interesting kind of correlations between it, which I think I'll bring up uh, throughout the episode. So um, kind of to lead into that, uh, the AI asks why she signed up for this expedition. And it's very similar to how uh, Tom came how Tom came to the decision to to buy the uh, the robot. Um, so she says uh, Peg says that she was watching the hologram singer, which is a nice like nod to you know a futuristic version of the masked singer, which I have never watched, but I know it's very popular. Um, and so she was watching the hologram singer and she was drawn in by a commercial and she recounts the commercial says, Oh, it's the adventure of a lifetime and everything and adventure awaits. Um, and so the whole commercial was designed to play up the adventure aspect of this one way journey and everything. And I found that to be a really nice connection to her dad being drawn into the robot product by an appearance on uh, the Today Show with Hoda Kotb, National Treasure Hoda Kotb. Um, so, uh, so I just, th- I just thought that that was really interesting that in the beginning, like these episodes are structured similarly. And it's interesting to me because those characters are so, um, I mean, they're, they're connected in a very, very uh, close way as well, uh, which I'll talk about as I go on. Um, so she talks about the seeing the commercial and signing up, putting in the application online. And then she says that she got a Zoom interview the next day with Prue from your company. Um, she has a lazy eye. And I kind of wonder if that like that detail is going to be a reference to someone in a future episode. I don't know. Um, and so when she says she got a Zoom interview the next day, like, I, I don't know, like, I appreciate the relevance um, in that, because obviously this show was created at the, t- in the era of COVID and throughout all of 2020, you know, people were under lockdown and everything. And, uh, industry, the industry had to contend with, um, you know, virtual stuff and everything. Um, but, uh, like, like, uh, like using zoom, zoom kind of came to prominence th- during the pandemic. And like, I don't know, something about having, like, like I appreciate the relevance in the dialogue and everything, but something about having this very futuristic story, like this is literally 60 plus years into the future from the last episode we watched, having that still have like a Zoom interview, like a Zoom reference felt just a little bit on the nose and a little bit kind of I don't know, playing to the cheap seats in terms of uh, creating a creating a connection between the audience and the and the uh, and and the the product or the the you know art. So I don't know. So uh, she talks about how she was told that it's a one way journey, and she was uh, pretty okay with that. <laughs> and, uh, as it goes on um, to as as we'll find going forward, and again, I just found some interesting correlations to. Peg's story and uh, Tom's story Um, because here she is lying about why she signed up and the same way that Tom says that he was drawn in by the Today Show that wasn't that was a half truth that was not exactly why he bought the robot and everything and throughout their monologues in both of these episodes the truth about why they did the things that they did in their respective episodes comes to light um, as a more emotionally resonant and emotionally driven decision and everything. So 
Then uh, Peg goes on to talk about how she's she was looking for the adventure of a lifetime and adventure ahead and everything. She says event adventure ahead a few times throughout the episode, and I thought that was charming a charming kind of kind of anchor for her uh, for her character in her monologues. Um, and the way that she talks here about how people wouldn't believe what she was doing and wouldn't believe like she was like oh if people could see me now they wouldn't believe that I was here or whatever. And the AI is like, uh, who wouldn't believe that? And she says, my dentist, for one. And I just feel like that is a really interesting line of dialogue because it's tinged with so much loneliness and kind of sadness because she's revealing that she has no close friends or rel- uh, or relatives or anything. And I just found that very um, an interesting building block through the character, uh, a building block toward the characterization of the episode that we will come to find throughout the throughout the course of the entire episode. And so she goes on to talk about how adventure is all that she ever wanted and how she feels that she deserves it. And when she goes into that little tangent where she's like, and I, I deserve it, I deserve an adventure. I found that again, really interesting, a really interesting peek into her character because she's working really hard to justify herself going on an adventure. Like she's trying to justify it. Uh, and it, it's, it kind of comes across as, uh, her being bogged down by what other people think of her or her actions. And it's kind of just this overarching thing of her not believing in herself or her, her not, uh, she doesn't live for herself. She is so bogged down by the opinions of others and, and her place within the society and how she doesn't seem to have a place in like the world. Um, that is really just really interesting characterization that kind of is, uh, that springs forward into more, um, interesting, uh, dynamics throughout the episode. So the AI kind of interrupts her and is like, Hey, we're currently passing the moon. Check it out. And again, just really quickly, I love space so much. (laughs) Uh, I really love space and that's just a beautiful shot of the moon and everything. It's just, it's gorgeous. So, um, this triggers in Peg this memory about her father. And she says that she used to make wishes for her dad on the moon. And she says that he was sick when she was five. Um, he got cancer. And then she starts to say being a cancer was, a." Uh, and then the AI interrupts and says, Oh, I, I know all about that. I'm an AI. Um, but, um, I kind of wondered, I thought that was an interesting piece of world building if it was the intention, which I think it was, because I wonder if that's implying that in this future, cancer has been eradicated, cured, um, which would be incredible, obviously. Um, and so she goes on to say that she wished that the moon would heal him. And then in the same sentence or same breath, she says he he died a few days after her sixth birthday. And she he couldn't make it to her sixth birthday party, so she always has to remember that she, that he died when she was six and not when she was five because she has a memory of him not being at the birthday party um which that like that little detail uh says a lot it's just it's very heartrending and everything and just after being so engrossed by tom's episode um overall like that this segment of the episode is just heartbreaking to me And she talks about how she remembers coming home and she remembers her mother hugging her and telling her that daddy went to heaven. And it just, it like that, 
hits so hard because like like you guys heard in my previous episode i loved that episode i loved anthony mackie's performance so going into this episode where we're we're talking about that character's death it does hit a little bit hard um at the emotional level and but then she bounces back and she has this this moment of happy memories of of her and Tom. And she talks about how she'd make him do TikToks with her. And again, like the way that she kind of dances in her seat is just very sweet and very um just just very sweet. And then she remembers the handshake, the handshake that Tom taught Robot Tom in the last episode and like the warmth she she has when she's talking about him and talking about the handshake and trying to remember it and dancing around is just so wonderful like so beautiful and the the way the music swells I don't remember if that's the same music that played in the previous episode or if it's a different composition but it's just this sweet like like beautiful emotional music and she kind of ends that segment with um saying that he loved me endlessly, my dad. And I just thought that that was just, ah, that was just beautiful. That was just such an, a beautiful, uh, such a beautiful emotional uh, moment for the episode. And then she kind of goes into the more harshest, uh, harsh kind of emotional stuff of losing her dad at a, at a young age. So she says that a week after the funeral, we met dad too, one of those remember me bots. And she goes on to say that her mother didn't like it. And, um, but her mother did everything she could for her, for Peg and Wilder. Um, and even sharing a bed with this robot version because she didn't want Peg to run in after like having a nightmare or something and just be traumatized by seeing this robot standing in the corner shut down for the night. Um, it's just, I, I thought that was a nice, uh, a nice kind of, um, element to it. But then, <sighs> This is this is tough because the next the next kind of revelation of this episode, the next big thing that happens in this episode is that Peg reveals that Kelly, Tom's wife and Peg's mother, died 6 months after Tom. And man, that is just freaking heartbreaking. And she talks about how it was just a freak accident that she was out for a run and a driverless car um malfunctioned and took a wrong turn and, you know, her mother was dead then. And honestly, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, it feels like slightly cruel and in in some way that I'm not sure I can articulate. It kind of feels like it undercuts Tom's episode to an extent because the entire crux of the Tom episode was him coming to terms with his mortality, his impending death, and leaving behind something to uh, keep his family... Um, like fine, like <laughs> like making it making it easier on his family, and to have this just cruel run of um development quickly following Tom's death just seems like really cruel, and I can't really see what the purpose of that is. Like I don't think I like it, and and I guess I guess maybe I'll walk back not knowing uh, the purpose of it because I do think that it is maybe meant to inform Peg's stunted emotional development like the maybe her kind of uh invisibility and her kind of quirks and her anxiety is supposed to be a development of her losing both of her parents in a very short span of time uh at a very young age um i don't know i i don't know um and i i do think that that's the intention because the next line she says i stopped wishing on the moon after that i didn't want to be a bother 
And oh, that's that's just heartbreaking. That is so heartbreaking. Um, she talks about how she cried for days and how she would sleep with her mother's sweater so that she could smell her. And I thought that this was a very beautiful like line of dialogue uh, following that, where she says that through the years, she mentions that the sweater stopped smelling like her mother and started smelling like her. And she says, it was like we met it was like we met as women in the fabric. And I thought that was just such such a nice sentiment uh, that's just so steeped in this grief and pain that kind of feels a little bit unfair. But I mean, I guess that is also kind of um, uh, that that is kind of um, indicative of the world. <laughs> I mean, life's not fair. Like sometimes, you know, tragedy, sometimes tragedy is duplicated in a very unfair way, um, uh, in someone's life. So I don't know. And so she talks about how, when they found out about dad too, Wilder and her were sent to England to live with her grandmother. And she doesn't really say, she doesn't really explain like who they were. I don't know what, like there's not much detail to that, but she says that, uh, after she went to England, uh, things got hard and there's a great piece of dialogue here. I thought that this was just gorgeously written. She says, I'm 71 years old and it still hurts because my bones and organs were developing then. So that pain is buried deep. It's covered by tissue and calcite and muscle. And to remove it, you'd have to untwine me altogether. And holy crap, just absolutely beautiful, beautiful words. Um, um, and so, so emotional. I, I thought that was really, really in- an incredible piece of writing. So then the AI asks if she had friends in Bedford in England where she was, and she kind of smiles and says, Ming Chan. Uh, She had a crush on him as a kid. He was a popular boy, athletic and everything. And then she goes into the story about him asking her to prom. And so he, she explains that he prom posed to her and cause he just came over and, and had like a whole flash mob thing with a phone and he was dancing and everything. And he had a banner asking her to prom. And so Peg fainted at that moment and then laughed. And I kind of felt like maybe that was supposed to infer that she maybe bruised Ming's ego slightly, but I don't think that was really the case. Um, and so Peg says to the AI, she, she says, oh, I said no, of course. And he like stops. The AI stops and is like, wait, what? Like does not compute, please. Um, please, you know, I don't know. He's not a robot like that. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, the AI asks, like, why? And she says that she said thank you, but that she told him that she was busy and that she had to stay home and helped her help her grandmother with something. And she says that she said what she really said no, because she knew the, I guess, the ridicule that the other kids would bring down on him. And she knew that the other kids would see him with her and it would be like she didn't want to put that on him. And it's this, it's this love. She didn't want to put it on him and she didn't want to put herself out there. She didn't want herself to be kind of visible and everything. And she does kind of reflect a little wistfully and say, it would have been nice to be seen, to have been seen. And again, this is her stunted emotional development. And, Uh, she even goes into her insecurities about that, saying that she didn't believe that he really wanted to go with her. She assumed that she just assumed that he felt sorry for her and she didn't want to be a bother to him or anything, which that recounting that, that recursion of her saying that she didn't want to be a bother is so painful. And so, um, 
heartbreaking because it is something that people struggle with all the time, <laughs> like not being secure in themselves and uh, having those insecurities and everything. I have been like a ball of anxiety for a large portion of my life. And I just like that kind of sentiment really resonated with me. So she talks about how her prom night itself was spent at home watching watching Speed 2 uh, with her grandmother. And then she reveals that at about 11 o'clock that night, Ming knocked on the door a little drunk and wearing his tuxedo. And she goes into this just beautiful description. Like the, the writing in the show is so, so beautiful um, and poetic. She says that the moon kind of was shining down on him and it was like the moon was finally answering her wishes and was making up for the fact that she couldn't, that the moon couldn't, um, uh, um, couldn't answer her wishes about her father. So she, so, so the moon just brought Ming to her. And so, uh, she talks about how Ming said that he was thinking about her the whole night at the prom and he leans in to kiss her and they kiss in the moonlight. The way that she describes it is so just, beautiful and romantic and everything. And then she says that when we finished kissing, I uh, shut the door, ran back inside, ran back inside, shut the door and danced. And again, those moments where Helen Mirren just dances in her seat are so sweet and just so like, it just makes you really feel for the character. And the fact that there's, there's something to the fact that the soundtrack um, has those moments kind of accentuated by the sound of the seatbelts around her pressing up against the leather of her spacesuit. Um, there's just a certain kind of tactile like feeling um, that brings about like an emotional kind of response in those in the sound design of those little little moments where she dances in her seat. So, like I said, the description of their kiss and the circumstances surrounding it are incredibly romantic, but they are spoiled by Peg's insecurities and her stunted emotional development. And again, I kind of wonder if that's meant to imply that this personality trait of hers, this character flaw of her having this kind of having all of these insecurities and and not having a sense of identity or anything if that's supposed to be a byproduct of both parents dying early. And when you kind of contrast that with Tom's description of her when she was, you know, five and he was dying, uh, he talks about how she's the, she's the boss. She's the queen of the castle. She's, she's so like, she's the leader and everything. And to see how that viewpoint of her as a child correlates or doesn't correlate with her actual, actual, you know, like 70 year old 71 year old version of herself kind of makes it makes it seem that makes it seem to imply that uh it's a byproduct of of both of her parents dying early so she talks more about that night uh the prom night and she says that ming called her later that night and then she also says that he called her throughout the week as well but she was too nervous to answer she was afraid that he would say it was wrong or a mistake and she always intended to call him back, but never did. And this is another just really resonant um, uh, piece of, of information that's delivered to us because this is her reflecting on how she gets in her own way. She's has this kind of self-sabotaging thing. Like she could have talked to Ming. She could have gone to prom with Ming. She could have answered Ming's calls. She could have really dove into it, but that would have brought her to his point of vulnerability that she was not never comfortable with throughout her entire life. And it also would have been something to 
you know, something that could have possibly been a very good thing for her. And I feel like the kind of underlying thing about her character in this show, in this episode, is that she she actively worked to not create, like, positive parts of her life, or not to create positive um, positive interactions, positive relationships in her life, because she is self-sabotaging, and she has this ingrained sense of invisibility and not being able to, not being in a, in a way to really go for what she wants. And in this scene, it's very beautiful the way that it just develops because she then kind of seamlessly goes into this, this, uh, story about her seeing, uh, seeing him, uh, seeing Ming at the, at the market. And it's not until like a few, a few lines into the dialogue that it's explicitly clear that this was many years later. So she sees him at the market and, uh, they, they nod and smile and everything. And then he in- introduces her to his wife, Carol, and their three kids. And this is just really heartbreaking and, and sad because it's about missed opportunities. It's about not taking those not 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 grabbing life by the horns <laughs> and not uh not going for connections that you, that could be good for you and everything and missing out on a lifetime together with someone um and to the extent of her being a character or 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 her revealing that it was years later she says that i looked down at my hands or i looked down and my hands were different i had wrinkles i had varicose veins and suddenly I looked in the reflection in the freezer and I was, I think she said it, she was like 51 or something at that point. And so was Ming. And she says, uh, I, I just found that to be a really interesting way um, to describe how time has passed and how she's hung on to the memory and hope of connecting with him after that kiss. Because she is still in that as she's taught before she mentions like the actual time difference and everything and the time of it, she uh, she says, like, it's just a seamless transition into seeing him at the market and then revealing that it's many years later. And she's been thinking about that night and thinking about that kiss for many years. And it's just, it's tragic because for years she thought about it instead of actually seeking out a connection with Ming or anyone else for that matter. And it's kind of showing or showcasing that that the pain of your worst insecurities preventing you from advancing into a more fulfilling life is kind of the central theme of this episode um and her character um arc throughout the episode and it's really just this very human experience and and a very painful human experience the way that someone can get in their own way in terms of uh, interacting with other people or having like relationships or positive relationships with others. It's just really tragic and sad. And so she says that she lost track of time and now they're, they're old, she's old and she, uh, reflects on how Carol didn't really seem to, uh, be too interested in, in Peg when, when they met. And she says, and I thought that this was just a beautiful runner of dialogue. She says, if only Carol knew how much Ming meant to, meant to me. Uh, and if only Ming knew what he meant to me. And if only Peg knew what, if only I knew what I meant to myself, just like that, that like string of consciousness in her, in her kind of reflection of her life is just 
really beautiful and, and the self-awareness and the kind of growing self-actualization that she's going to have throughout the episode is just, it's really, it's an, it's a just beautiful breadcrumb and, and told in, in very poetic and beautiful dialogue. And so she even kind of goes a step further and she reflects on what it would have been like if Ming's kids were her kids. Um, and she one she says that they'd probably keep her sweater and and sleep with her sweater and smell her and everything, and then she kind of lets loose a kind of like a um a regret saying that I really should have picked up his call and this is where it kind of transitions into her being more self-reflective and everything. She says that she doesn't know why she always thinks she's such a bother and uh she wonders why she's so scared of being seen. And that's kind of the central theme of this episode in her character arc. And I think it's just performed beautifully by Helen Mirren and, and demonstrated beautifully in the dialogue, uh, in the screenwriting. It's just, it's really great. So she continues to reflect on time and aging. And, uh, she noticed, uh, when she turned 64, she noticed how much aging is a dirty fighter. And she mentions that little things add up. Um, like you notice little things as you age and those little things add up and everything. And this is where it gets kind of confusing to me just slightly. So she says that it was the bus ride back from the funeral just a couple of months ago that did it, that made her realize like what, you know, um, realize like aging in the abstract. And so she mentions that she was waiting for her stop and she was sitting kind of in a daze on the bus. And at this point, like, there's no, I, I don't, like, she says that uh, it was the bus ride back from the funeral just a couple of months ago that did it. And I've seen this episode a few times now, and, like, it doesn't go into context of whose funeral it was, what the funeral was. It doesn't, there's no information there. And and I thought that, that was a, that was a weird gap to leave. Um, I don't know if it's something that'll come to light in another episode, but it just felt like a very strange digression. Um, cause she never says whose funeral it was or anything. And it's, it's just, it's like a dangling piece of information that I feel like, uh, leaves the viewer not really like, like a little disconnected from from the uh, episode and her story and everything. So I th- I just thought that was kind of strange. So anyway, she talks about how she was on the bus and she was in a daze and uh, she rode, the, like she missed her stop and she just rode the bus through the entire line. And she wasn't seen on the bus until the driver, like after the driver was in the bus depot and shut down everything. And she wasn't even noticed by him until he was leaving the actual bus. She was invisible. And she thinks that it's unfair not to see her. And she says like, oh, I paid my fare. I took my seat. I should have been noticed. I should have been seen. And I just thought that that was just sad and, and really, really, um, it just, it, it really felt really sad to me. <laughs> uh, just the pain that she does in that moment, the, the pain that she brings to it is just, is really, really sad. Um, so she reassures herself that she's funny and sexy and has a lot to offer. And I thought that in this moment, it's just a wonderful, again, a wonderful performance by Helen Mirren. Um, there's just some really fantastic acting by her um, as the character is reclaiming her individuality and her identity and realizing that she can, she can be those things. She can be be this person who is visible. She can be this person who doesn't have this shell, this protective shell around her personality to keep her at like to keep others at arm's length or keep other, keep others away from her. She has things to offer 
um, and this kind of like free form, um, not not necessarily free association, but this just like this burst of self assurance that she has in this in this scene is just really palpable and really beautiful. And so uh, then she kind of brings it down a little bit and she says that that's what she wanted to say to the bus driver. But instead, all she said was that she was sorry and that she should have been more seeable. And uh, and, and again, that's just her making excuses or, or, or making concessions for uh, so that so that other people don't think negatively of her or don't um, not to cause a fuss or be a bother or anything. It's just, it's really, really sad. Um, And so he responded to her and said not to worry and that these things happen. And kind of presently in, in the spaceship, she says like, I, I, why do those things have to happen? Why is she so scared of being seen and being herself? It's just, it's just an interesting kind of window into this character's mind and everything. Um, and the kind of realization that, that she doesn't need to be the way that she has been. She can be an individual. She can be her own person. And I just really love the human element of this, of this story in this case. And so then it gets a little darker. And she says that that night she decided that if she was destined to disappear, she'd do it on her own terms. And while she was laying in bed wondering how she was going to commit suicide, she realized that there was fruit that was going to go bad the next day. So she goes to the goes to the kitchen and she ate the most delicious strawberry she's ever had in her entire life. And she sat there for hours. And so then she turned on the TV and she watched the hologram singer. And that's when she heard about this one-way journey sweepstakes thing. And again, this episode is structured a lot like Tom's episode. And I really like it for that. So like I said, so she was she gave a reason why she signed up for it much like Tom gave a reason why he bought the robot. And then now she's revealing that there was actually a much darker and more, more personal reason for that. Just as Tom revealed like why, um, why he spent the 30 grand to get the robot and everything. And so she gives the real reason why she signed up. She says that it wasn't because she wanted an adventure. Uh, she explains that if you lined up everyone on earth up at like a deli counter, there wouldn't be a number for her. And she felt like going out into the universe, she'd finally have a spot. She would finally be counted. And man, that's just, it's just so depressing and sad. And the, like the loneliness is pervasive and visceral. It's just, it's really like it, like it doesn't really, like this episode doesn't really reach that emotional core, the emotional resonance of Tom, the, the previous episode, but it does have its own unique thing in its own right, which also its own unique thing. It's also, like I said, much, very much structured similarly to Tom's episode. So it's a little give and take there. Um, so much like when robot Tom reassured real life Tom in the previous episode, the AI comes in and, and reassures her. She says that I don't think, or it says, uh, I don't think it's true. I think Ming wanted to be wanted to go to the prom with you and he wanted to kiss you. And one day he wanted to marry you. And he says that he sees her, he sees her for who she is. And she kind of scoff, not, 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 not necessarily scoffs at that. She's like, how can you see me? You're, you're an AI. And she said in the AI, he says, there's more to you. There's more of you to see than anyone I've seen or known or heard in my whole existence. And you don't need eyes for that. I just thought that was a really beautiful sentiment and everything. And so at this moment, Peg asks how far they are on the journey. And uh, somewhat cryptically, the AI says, we are where we're heading. And she 
starts to think like she could call Ming. Uh, she can dance. She can start fresh. And that, at that point, I was like, was it Carol's funeral that she was at? <laughs> like, like because I I still have that dangling piece of information that isn't that isn't apparent in the episode. It just it just seemed kind of weird. So I don't know if that was like Ming's wife's death or or funeral that she was at or or whose funeral it was. I don't know. But in this moment, she has this just resurgence, this reassurance and this surge of uh, self-esteem that's boosted in her. And it's very nice to see her kind of reach this point where she is like realizing that 71 isn't too old. Like she can still turn her life around. She says, maybe I could be myself again. That version of me that I've always been. A girl who said yes and wasn't scared and who would dance and everything. It's just, it's a very beautiful, beautiful kind of crescendo of her journey through her monologue and everything just i i loved it i really loved it um and so that's when she asks and we get this is the kind of the the emotional or the 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 actual climax of the episode the the big moment of her self-actualization so she asks the ai if they can turn turn it around and he says it's a ship of no return and so she asks very, very kind of sweetly, she's like, can you make an exception? And he's, uh, there's like a beep and everything. And he says that he'll see what he can do. And I love this as a final line for uh, Peg. She says, only if it's not a bother. And then there's a beat. She reconsiders and says, or maybe even if it is a bother. <laughs> um, and I just thought that that was a great kind of moment or a great, a great kind of, um, it felt like a really great moment for her because she is letting go of that idea that she doesn't want to be a bother to anyone. She doesn't want to, she doesn't want to ruffle any feathers or cause any, any, any type of, um, uh, I don't know, any, any type of, uh, issues with other, with, with others and everything. She wants to be her own person. Um, and then kind of as a, as an echo or as a, as a button on the entire episode, uh, the AI starts playing space oddity, uh, space oddity. Um, and then Peg kind of laughs and says, that's the song to referring to the song she was thinking about in the opening scene, which I thought that was very sweet because, it kind of has this element to it that it's, she is her own individual person. She did reach those conclusions. She did become this self-actualized presence on the spaceship through talking through her emotions and talking through her things uh, and her insecurities and her issues and everything. But also at the same front, the AI is also helping her and everything. So again, that's kind of similar to Tom, because Tom is working through his own insecurities, his own, his own issues, his own mortality. And he has this piece of technology that is responding to him and helping him along the way without interfering with his own kind of growing sense of, of what he is and what he needs to be or, or what he's leaving behind. And in the same way, the AI is helping Peg reach this level of self-actualization and, and, and self-discovery without interfering with her thought process and everything. It's just, it's really cool. So the episode is left kind of open-ended, but I'm pretty confident that we can assume that she goes back to earth and restarts her life and everything. Um, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, uh, (laughs) Uh, that's about it, really. I think I just talked through this whole episode. Wow. Okay. Um, so again, like the rest of my notes are about how it correlates with Tom's story. And I literally just talked all of, all of those notes before I even got to those notes. So anyway, (laughs) um, uh, that's it for Peg. I thought that, like I said, at the top of this review, 
I kind of felt like this episode was a wasn't as strong as Tom. And but but it was an improvement over Leia, so there is kind of that give and take there. Um, in the ranking of the three episodes I've I've watched, this is number two, and Tom's number one, uh, with Leia number three. But so far, I'm really really liking the show. It's very very um very character based, which is something I just I love. I am very much getting into it. So, um, so yeah. So I hope you guys are liking it too. Uh, let me know what you think. Um. And everything. So that is it for this bonus episode. Once again, you can check out Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Ten dollars per month gets you access to all of this stuff right off the bat. And uh and yeah, so so you get access to all of that. But uh yeah. Alright, well I will be back next time with whatever episode four is and uh, an episode of the twilight zone on the main feed so um yeah all right well that'll do it for this episode thank you guys so much for listening and i'll see you next time and now here's a short clip from our patreon exclusive rss feed to hear the full clip and more exclusive patreon content go to patreon.com obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of one dollar per month Thank you and enjoy. So I'm trying to figure out a way to incorporate this into this, but um, uh, how do you guys feel about it? How did you guys have any side effects from that first shot? And I, in my head, I just, I, I, there's no way I can connect this, but I, would, <laughs> I just want to be like, oh yeah, it's going to be two shots, one shot in the arm and second shot in the arm, like, like two hits, like you hit me, you, uh, me hitting you, yeah. you hit the floor. Hilarious. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. You guys talk now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my experience was great. I was actually really impressed with how, like, how they're using the space of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, huge facility, obviously, and it's all drive up, and like they they use all that space to their advantage. Mm-hmm. They probably got like a thousand cones set up to like go, you know, like, filter people through the the facility, and um, it was really smooth. I didn't have to wait at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there was a bunch of I assume National Guard. Yeah, uh, gentlemen and ladies wow. there, um, like uh, just pointing people around and everything. So um, I did all the pre-registry stuff, and it was incredibly smooth and fast and a good experience. Um, also, Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod. And follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more can be found in the Obsessive Viewers Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewers annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. 
And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at towerjunkiespod.com and at towerjunkiespod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Yeah!